a new public service podcast brought to you in full by Hachi the Hack. Hachi the Hack probably gives a f- what you think. If you don't like it, then you can find another means of entertainment. Little did you know, upon giving this a chance, you have just found the best thing about lockdown. Hachi the Hack is fed up with the media and government sh- and may well let rip. Anything else? I guess followed and enjoy the podcast. A very warm welcome to the latest episode of My Corona Podcast, and I'm delighted to say that I welcome Norwich City Sporting Director Stuart Weber. Stuart, how are you doing? Yeah, good, thanks, uh, Stuart. How are you? <sighs> I'm not too bad, mate. Here, I've got a starter for 10 for you. Right, we've got to know each other a wee bit over the years. What's the best or worst question that I've ever asked you? Um... <laughs> Put you in the spot right away. Yeah, yeah. Um, probably the best question is, in fairness to you, without blowing smoke up your your backside, um, you generally ask more interesting questions around the role as opposed to who we signing or mm-hmm. is Pookie's right foot bigger than his left foot questions. Um, so I'd say in general the, the questions are pretty good. Probably the most one on the spot is you know why support leads. Um, why call you? I think you asked me once why did I call my son after Sebastian Vettel. Um, it's a bit oh, okay. Um, oh, no, well, that, that, that's decent. I don't think I've ever asked you those kind of questions in a public sort of like forum. <laughs> well, as long as he's as fast, then you're doing no too bad. Um, yeah. Now, forgive me for trivialising the sporting director role, right? But do you know what it seems to me? It seems like the fun bit of football manager. It's like doing all the signings, deciding how you're, you're going to build the infrastructure of the club, all of that kind of stuff. But what's the nitty gritty of being a sporting director? What's the day-to-day of the job about? Yeah, I mean, it's obviously like, like every job, you know, there's, there's lots of factors to it. It's not as simple as, as one thing or the other. I think in simple terms, you can categorise it as, you know, let's be honest, it, the most important part of my job is uh, the players that we sign, um, and the coach that we uh, and th- that we sign. If you get them two things right, in general, you can be successful. If you get them two wrong, you'll definitely fail. Um, but then it's all of the other stuff around that, you know. So, for example, uh, um, you know, and every club sets it up slightly different. You know, like every club's um, press offer will have have slightly different um, roles and responsibilities. I think it's the same for this role. But talking about it here. You know, for example, uh, I'd have comms reporting to me, which I know is quite unique um, for, 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 for a lot of clubs, you know. So, uh, you know, in that way, we can, you know, we can set um, to myself and Dan Holker, we can, you know, almost set the tone of how we want messages to come across. Um, Just and, in terms and, of the infrastructure there, though, so like Ben Kensel, for example, are you guys separate or does he report to you as well? No, no, no. So we've got myself, Ben Kensel and Zoe Ward. We're the, we're the three-person committee team. Um, exec committee, sorry. So the three of us report into the board, and then all three of us have our um, separate people who report into us. So predominantly, I look after the obviously the football side of the of the business, uh, Colney, if you like. Um, ben um, looks after Carrow Road, so whether that's the operations, uh, ticketing, commercial, um, finance, them sort of areas. And then Zoe, uh, and obviously predominantly looks after Carrow Road, and then Zoe sort of sits in between the two and, and splits her time between the two sites um she'll deal with all the sort of contracts um and legal 
sort of stuff, HR. So um, all, all of the of the of the people that work at the club, you mean she's not negotiating I don't know, Emiliano Buendia's next deal. No, no, but she's part of it. So um because in fairness, uh, when she worked at Liverpool before, she was club secretary and she she had a uh, a close relationship with the director of football there, a guy called Damien Camoli. And um, you know, she oh, we, I think we both know Damien. Yeah, exactly. And when Liverpool signed, for example, Luis Suarez, you know, she was in the room with Damien in Amsterdam negotiating that deal. Um, because um, the good thing is about um, about Zoe is obviously she's a woman, um, obviously, but it sometimes brings a different perspective to negotiations. And sometimes, and this is this goes back to having diversity in your teams, really. You know, women uh, can spot different things to us as men. You know, and I know personally, I can get a little bit emotional. I can get pissed <laughs> off, I can get angry. Um, whereas sometimes if you've got someone to step in and maybe, you know, take all of that away and look at it a bit more level-headed, it can help, you know, and, and that's why, you know, she's involved in a lot of um, the contracts. But listen, the nitty-gritty of the negotiation, of course, is, is my job and what I do. But at the end, she'll, all, well, her and, and a guy called Andy Blofeld, who's our club secretary, they'll always be involved right from the start. Um because I think it's important for transparency that they see what I'm doing and can make mm-hmm. sure that I'm not, you know, about to walk into um, getting run over by a bus, you know, because sometimes when you're, when you're, when you're so um, linked into something and when you're so into something and you want to make something happen so much, whether it's, you know, any player we sign, you're just desperate to get that deal done and get it over the line and as quick as possible so that, you know, uh, Daniel and, and the guys have him at the training ground as soon as possible so he can hit the ground running. That sometimes you can miss the blatantly obvious things, and that's why you know I'll always involve Zoe, uh, Andy Blofeld, and, and now we have a club lawyer called Sam Hall, so they've got complete transparency from the start, so that they can either flag something up, um, offer an opinion, um, you know. But um, yeah, obviously, fundamentally, it's it's my call, and I've got to do what I, you know, I've got. I'm, oh, I, 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 I get all that. No, he- that support is um, is vital, and you know, I've got to say over the years. I've worked obviously with Zoe at Liverpool and here, but in terms of you know Andy here, you know they've saved us a lot of money at times by spotting something I've not seen. Um, so no, sure. God, can you give us a you know, tangible example without sort of going into something that you can't go into? If you know what I mean? Yeah. So uh, for example, we had um, one player that we'd signed that there was something in the, the transfer agreement rather than the um, than the player contract, but in the transfer agreement that that I'd agreed to, well, not I hadn't agreed, I'd missed that they'd put in a draft of a contract around um, a certain clause that if we get promoted would give them a certain right to amount of money. And I'd never agreed that in a negotiation. Um, but I, I missed it. So was that was, was this just the agent trying to pull a flanker? Kind no, of no thing? not the agent, no, no, the other club. Um, so not the agent, the other club. And, oh, right, um, sorry, so this is in the transfer fee, my, my mistake. Yeah, right. transfer, and, you know, Zoe or, or, um, or Andy, whoever between them, whatever, spotted it and took it out. And, you know, that ended up, ended up probably saving us um, a, more or less a million pounds, you know, uh, once we got promoted. So, you know, there's some decisions there which are, you know, which can be huge. Um, and that's why it's important to get, you know, the diversity of, of people seeing it. And it's important to drop the ego and be willing to share. And, you know, and, and you know, I, I, saw, um, I saw an interesting quote last night. I was watching, um, uh, I was watching a program and um, someone said, uh, he's like, you know, got his own businesses, etc. Been highly successful um, millionaire. And he goes, um, just make sure you're the, self, you're, you're the dumbest person in the room. 
and then you can be successful. <laughs> I think that's often the case with me. I make sure I'm the dumbest person in the room um, and that the uh, the people around me can uh, can pick up all the flaws. Surround yourself with talent, mate. That's the uh, I suppose that's the secret to building a decent football team. I, I, no wanting to to, and this is an interesting kind of divergence from the the way I thought the chat was going to go, but. Is there a wee bit of conflict of interest in the fact that obviously it's your wife, you know? Um, like, th- does that create particular, um, a, a sort of particular challenge in terms of what you could might you might put across as a, a potential conflict of interest, or do you think you guys manage to separate the job from sort of family life quite well? Do you guys manage to? Oh, yeah, hundred percent. I mean, fortunately, we, we work together at um, Liverpool, so. You know, we had some practice there. And I think what you've got to remember with both of us is, you know, Zoe's had a highly successful career um, long before we ever got together. She was appointed at Norwich before me under Dave McNally, Dave McNally the, the previous chief exec. I think everyone would agree had an extremely successful time here and then doesn't suffer fools. So I think when... Um, <laughs> we will revisit that, but I'll let you finish your answer. But, but when I got um, approached for the, for the role here, um, you know, they'd already made it very clear. Zoe'd left here because she was having um, Sebastian and they always said, we want you back. Uh, we want you to come back. Um, so when I got offered the job here, obviously there was always going to be a conversation between them and her as if you want to start working again. That, that offer's still there, even though David had gone. But Delia and Michael were really keen on, um, on having her involved because the skill set is such that, you know, it's quite a unique skill set and, and it's certainly a unique experience set. And, and what people forget and... Um, so can you, so what, what do you mean unique? Well, you've got to remember here that this is someone who was a club secretary in the Premier League at 25 at Fulham. Um, that's not easy to do, by the way. There aren't many 25-year-olds. Oh, that's secretary. a good point. Like, I mean, how, 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 how did Zoe get way, to that point? Who, by the way, are owned by, you know, at the time, Al Fayed, again, who's no mug. You know, these aren't... These aren't, mm-hmm. They don't give out jobs and um, for the for the sake of it, you know. Um, so she's done that. She's you know she's worked for the Premier League. She's worked at let's, let's be honest, one of the biggest football institutions in the world um, in Liverpool. Again, in the role of um, you know club secretary, where you know she was leading all of their trips uh, when they were in the Europa League. Um, like I say, player negotiations, um, contract negotiations. Um, you know, dealing at the highest level with, at the time, Damien Camoli on, you know, transfers in and out, working with a chief exec called Christian Perslow, who's mm-hmm. had a successful career at Liverpool, Chelsea, and obviously now at Villa. Um, so in her own right, she, you know, without being rude, she could have a much better job than what she's probably got now if she <laughs> wanted to just purely focus on her, her career. And then, and then likewise for myself, um, you know, my work's my work, you know, my family, listen, of course, like everyone, is, of course, your family is the most important thing. But to be honest, my fa- I've never let my family get in the way of what's the right decision for a football club. And I don't care who that is, whether it's my wife, my son, my mother. Um, the most important thing when I work for an organisation is that club. And, and that doesn't matter whether I'm living with the person or not. It's likewise, you know, it's like working with friends. It, in a way, it makes it a lot easier because there's unconditional trust. You know, yeah. so when... Um, so when, you know, when I know when Zoe pulls me up on something or I pull her up on something, I know 100% she's doing that for the right reason for me and the club. That is a big thing. I know 100% she's not trying to stitch me up. And I know 100% I'm not sort of trying to stitch her up. Whereas, you know, we've all, I'm sure, worked with people where you think, 
is he or she trying to do me in there? No, that's um, it. It's like, like I get, I get that there must be an implicit trust there. Now you mentioned Liverpool, by the way, right? Why do you think? Um, I mean, you're you're very transparent in the role that you do. Why do you think Mister Edwards at Liverpool is less so? Why, why do we hear less about him? There's a lot more focus on on the Jurgen Klopp side of things, whereas I think at Norwich City there's there's as much focus on the Stuart Webber side as the Daniel Farker side in terms of the fans and. I don't know if that's a deliberate thing or not, but why do you think that Michael Edwards is sort of... He's less lauded for the role that he's played in creating Liverpool, which is football's juggernaut right now. Yeah, and I I feel for him at times. Not not not, not feel sorry for him because, well, he's an amazing job, but, you know, he should get a lot more credit than what he does. But, you know, I don't I don't know Michael that well. I know him a little bit. We've, we've met, you know, we worked together, you know, for a short time at Liverpool or whatever, but... Um, what what was I mean, the over what was the overlap there exactly? Just to... but he came in. Damien Camoli brought him in as like head of I don't know what the title was at the time. It was like data and analysis or whatever it was. And and I was uh, obviously head of academy recruitment. Um, mm-hmm. So we, you know we had a few meetings or whatever. And extremely intelligent guy, nice bloke. Um, and you know obviously then Damien left and you know whatever he got promoted and fair play. He's, he's gone on from you know to achieve incredible things you know and and the team there you know I think he's got Dave Fallows with him Barry Hunter you know they're fantastic people and, and incredible operators and what they've achieved is is, is outrageous really um great good but, um, but I think um he you know maybe it's his personality I think also sometimes when you're internally promoted it's difficult you know I think it's a lot it's a lot easier for me. So if, if yeah because there was a big fanfare about your arrival I can remember yeah, when I came on the first press day, conference I'll never, I'll, I'll never forget it the first day um, I got here it was uh, actually I came here on a Wednesday night and Norwich were playing away at Huddersfield believe it or not we got beat 3-0 um, that was my next day was that Thursday morning which was that was good fun And um, but I remember Steve Stone who was the MD at the time said to me he goes oh you've got your press conference at whatever 3 o'clock I'm like I've got what? he goes <laughs> yeah there's a press conference at 3 o'clock and then Joe Ferrari who was ahead of Comet time come in and said to me yeah you've got whatever ITV BBC, you know, whatever. I'm like, what? A press conference? And he's like, yeah. Uh, to be honest, any other club I've been to, I just sat with um, the head of comms or, or one of the press officers and did a, let's be honest, a 10 minutes. That's interesting because, like, see, see in my head, right, I, I thought it was maybe a deliberate manoeuvre in your part to make sure that you were entirely transparent in this role. No, no, not at all. Not at all. So as soon as I got told that morning, I was like, Right, okay, I need to get my head around this quick because you know, you know, what it's like with, with the media, your first impression is vital, exactly. You know? they, they bloody journals, they, they rush to judgment, man, yeah, and and then supporters <laughs> do because they read it. And let's be honest, we've all seen people who do interviews and come across terribly, and it's hard to get past that, even if they do great ones. So, um, you know, fortunately, I was comfortable with doing them, and, and I've you know, I've never had a problem touch wood of. of talking about football and the role because I'm passionate about it and I love it. Um, but uh, yeah, but I had to get my head around it because it's like, okay, I need to go this well. And, and then I had to think to myself, um, well, I've got certain messages that I want to get out there for the staff to read, if I'm mm. honest, and the players to read, um, and the supporters to read. So I was a bit, you know, I had to sort of go and gather my thoughts because I was thinking, okay, I weren't really sort of expecting this today. Um, and again, yeah, it comes back to, make sure you're prepared. I'd be much more better prepared. But I think, so what happened was, I think when, when I joined, I think, um, you know, and you'd have to ask the board this, because I've never actually asked them, but I got the impression very early on that 
the board were looking for someone to be a figurehead to talk about football. Yeah. Um, and that's what they saw my role, not necessarily me, but the role as, as being. Um, and then I think it's, it's, um, it's sort of just gone on from there. Whereas, you know, maybe some of, some of my counterparts at other club, maybe they've got a chief exec who speaks, maybe they've got an owner who speaks, uh, maybe they've got a manager who's been in post for years, you know, take, I don't know, Mike Rigger, um, who's gone into Burnley, you know, Sean Dyche has been there, whatever, six, seven years done, you know, an incredible job. You know, it's going to be very hard for, for Mike to suddenly go and start doing press conferences, talking about the strategy and the, and the plan because everyone's going to go, uh, where's Sean? So I think it's difficult. And, and again, probably if you look at Liverpool, if you look at how um, Jurgen Klopp comes across, you know, he's, you know, he's... Yeah, he's he's you know, I mean, the thing is, I love Klopp, right? Klopp, Jurgen Klopp, if you were to ask me my single favourite thing about football, right, in terms of the way his team plays, his charisma and the way he comes across. But what people have to remember is that is a bit of a persona as well, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, I don't know. I don't, I don't know him. Um, but, um, but yeah, you know, he's outstanding in the media, isn't he? And, um, you know, it's, it's almost how do you follow that? Um, no, that's, that's the thing. But, like, if you've got someone that has that level of charisma, it's quite easy to then go, right, okay, he can be the figurehead here. And this kind of relates back into a discussion that we've had in sort of various guises on various occasions, which is, you know, the old, the old sort of the mentality of, of, of the way football works in the UK, but it's like the manager, the buck stops with the manager, right? If you look at Manchester United's success throughout the years with Alex Ferguson, you had two people behind him at the, at the two different stages in Malcolm Edwards and David Gill, who were complete supporters and, and did all of the stuff that you're talking about. See all the stuff that you were mentioning that Zoe and, and other people are pointing out in kind of contracts and, and, and that kind of thing. Those people were as integral a part, in, in some ways, of Manchester United's success as Sir Alex Ferguson was. Would you agree? Yeah, definitely. And I think if you look at Arsenal, David Dean and um, Arsene Wenger, mm-hmm. you know, I think, you know, it's like, you know, every great man needs a great wife behind them or whatever, or with them or whatever the saying is. I think every great coach or manager needs great people with him, you know, whether that's players or, or staff. And I think... Um, my, my, my true belief has always been coming into to this sort of role is, you know, I don't believe the head coach's neck should be on the block for every single decision that's made in a football club. And, and when I see that, it, it, it really annoys me when I see good people losing their jobs. Yeah. Because maybe the clubs have made poor decisions, but you know what? That guy is the focal point. He's the one who's getting shot at. You know, if we fail here, it's because I've ultimately got it wrong. You know, not it's Daniel or anyone else, it's me. I have to take that responsibility because ultimately I'm paid and, and I was employed to, to lead this. Um, and it, when I see coaches hung out to dry and managers hung out to dry in what is an outrageously ruthless part of the, the industry where sometimes if you fail in your first job, you never get another opportunity. I think well, that's incredibly sad. And yeah. I think you have to build, in my opinion, a framework where uh, a coach can come in they have time to, to do their work um, and you have people around them at the top of the organization who understand that. They un- you know, we have to understand process. I have to understand, I truly believe, and I have to make the board understand the, ju- the journey that a young player needs to go on. That you don't become from 18 to world class in a week. It's a journey to get there. They will make mistakes. Understanding that a player coming from abroad takes time to, to develop. 
understanding that playing football a certain way, um, you don't always play the way you want to play. You can have bad days. You can have days when... It's like any other job, isn't it? Exactly. But I think, unfortunately, in football, I think there's still too much emotion in boardrooms where a team loses. Maybe they've got their, you know, they've had a beer or two in the boardroom and they've got their mates around and their ego's a bit battered because they've lost to a team that maybe they deemed that they shouldn't have lost to. And it becomes, yeah, but what about a substitution? And why did he play him? And why did he do that? And, and I see it as the half, you have to have people sat around them tables defending that and changing the conversation because otherwise... Do you think that makes you quite different though? Because, I, I mean, without sort of naming names, I, I, I can see plenty of examples, particularly in the Premier League, where we seem to have moved towards this sort of model now where it is a bit more like the, the, the kind of head coach role abroad where people's necks are on the block and managerial tenures are a lot less than they in terms of duration and in terms of what they used to be but i mean when you see examples of people maybe and see the michael edwards role not saying that he's done this right but people who are the quiet person or mike rig in the background right do you think that have you seen examples of where the manager has been hung out to dry as you put it as a kind of defense mechanism and do you think it makes you different that you try not to do that? You try to make sure that the buck stops with you? Yeah, I mean, I think there's lots of examples, certainly not examples of them two people, but lots of examples with, with other people. But normally people who aren't, I think you get two people. You either get people who just don't understand the game and they don't understand football, um, but they're in positions where ultimately they should do, but they don't. And they're the most dangerous people for sure because mm-hmm. they, they're fans in a suit effectively. And they make decisions like a fan would make a decision. Um, and that, that's incredibly dangerous. It's like me. I'm a massive F1 fan. Um, and I'm sure if you put me on a pit wall during a race strategy, I would get it horrendously <laughs> wrong because I actually think I know what I'm doing. Um, and, you know, both drivers would probably run out of petrol or something. I'll, t- like I'll, I'll tell you what, though. Like, do you know what impresses me? is see how they managed to get all the letters on the board so quickly like, and managed to turn that around for both drivers in the same lap. I, I think that in itself is an impressive skill. What I love about that still is they do that when they've got the best technology ever for radios. It's like <laughs> even 200 miles an hour past a little board with some little letters on which says whatever, minus 0.4 seconds. It's like, just tell me, mate. You know, it'd be easier if you could just tell me, um, you know, as, I, as I'm swerving <laughs> off the road trying to look at your little board. But anyway, that's a, going aside. But I think so. I think you've got them type of people. But then also I think you've got, um, you've got people who are just fearful for their job. And, and I've, you know, and again, maybe this is just pure naivety, but I've never ever been in a job and worried about getting sacked. And that's not um, because I think I'm that good that I'm not going to get sacked. But I, almost, I, I have a, a theory that, well, what will be will be. If I'm not for them, that's all right. But, you know, I've got certain principles which, you know, I live and die by. And, and if it's a hard conversation with somebody, I'll go and have it with them. I won't you know, have it in a boardroom behind people's backs or whatever. If there's a problem, you know, I believe in trying to deal with it before it becomes becomes bigger. And, and you know, it's quite a straightforward sort of way way of sort of looking at it. And, you know, and I think I've got quite an analytical uh, mindset where, you know, I can get to conclusions quite quickly as to why something isn't working um, as opposed to, you know, overthinking things or, or listening to too many people and, you know, people who don't know telling you because you know what it's like when when you lose football matches or 
Yeah, there's thing. there's reactionary, but the, actually, I want to I want to stick on that thing of that skill, right? So the the, the first skill is analysing the problem and like extrapolating from the greater plethora of data, saying right, here's the issue, right? What about the bit where it's like, right, okay, that's the problem. Here's how we change it. Here's how we communicate the change. Here's how we sort of go about addressing it. Those are two separate skills. How yeah. can you talk about them in turn? Yeah, I think, you know, I think the analyzing of the skills, I mean, it probably helps that I'm dyslexic. I think at times it helps me work things out in the way I work it out a lot quicker than, um, than some people can. You know, I always, you know, say to my wife is a disability and she always says a skill and chucks at NASA a point 50% of their people, they want to have dyslexia because it, because we just think differently for whatever reason. Um, so I think, you know, I, I can problem solve very, very quickly. Um, and I can make decisions very, very quickly. I don't need time to make a decision. I can just give me the problem and I'll give you a decision. Not always getting it right, I may add. Um, and then I think what I've always sort of worked on the theory is, well, if there's a problem, well, let's, let's just go and, go and deal with it head on. Because it's never actually as bad as what you think. You know, people, you know, sometimes you know, work themselves up for weeks and weeks and weeks and wait till an appraisal and then go and have a chat with someone. Whereas, you know, I'm, I'm you know, my, my style of, you know, managing staff, I suppose, is, is very simple. It's like, let's just have a chat. Don't write me a 40 page email because I won't read it. Um, don't come in with a 200 page dossier and, and presentation because you'll lose me after about 10 seconds. But let's just have a chat and we'll get to the bottom of the problem and, and we'll deal with it and we'll find a way. Um, and I think, you know, that's just how I do it. I'm not saying that's right. Um, it's definitely not for everybody. I know it can be frustrating for, for some people who, um, love loads of detail and will present hours and hours of presentations just for me to go, okay, great. Come have a chat about it. As opposed to, I don't want to sit here for two hours now looking through this, um, mm -hmm. because you cause I get switched off and, and I get bored very, very, um, very, very easily. And I think often it's. Often, I think life and, and football is very, very simple. I think we, we overthink it. Um, we sometimes want it to be a lot more complicated than what it is because we want to we wanna feel like we're, you know, we're special or whatever, but it's actually really, really simple. You know? And it's about getting good players, getting a good coach, um, creating a good environment, um, you know, having a good culture, having a plan, understanding what you've got in your own building in terms of talent, whether that's players or staff. Um, getting the, the right balance in a squad in terms of personalities, et cetera, et cetera. And, you know, it, it's really simple things. If you get them things right, you've got a chance. I, I listened to something the other day where, and Harry Redknapp um, said, and they were talking about his time at Spurs when he went in, and I think they were second from bottom and they finished in the Champions League qualification. Yeah. And they said, how do we do it? And he goes, I just had good players. And like, yeah, but how do you do it? He goes, no, I just played Gareth Bale in the right that, position. That, 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 do you know what? That's what I was going to say. Work out how to use Gareth Bale. That, that's what exactly. happened. Exactly. Yeah. Luke Modric, um, you know, and he's talking about, he goes, listen, I had top players. He goes, nothing to do with me. Obviously, it is to do with him, of course. And, and you know, because he had to identify that and he had to simplify it for them players. But fundamentally, it's right. If you look at all the best teams in the world, what have they got in common? They've got the best players. So Liverpool now, they've got the best centre-half in the world, the best goalkeeper in the world, arguably the best front three in Europe, um, all at the prime, by the way. Um, you know, they, they've got, you know, they've got the best right back, probably who's going to become the best right back in the world. You know, it's like they've got top, top players. Can we, and then, can we, can we talk about that front three, by the way? Right, let's talk about Roberto Firmino, because that is a football player who, 
for me. I, I think if you, there are better players in that Liverpool team, but I feel he is the most vital component to the structure of that overall thing. Would you agree or disagree? Yeah, I think he's, yeah, he's, he's incredibly vital. I think he's, uh, he's like the glue that sticks it all together. You know, I think like so, I. He's like the Burkamp of Arsenal. You know, it was always Henri and Perez really got most of the headlines. Um, but it's the way, if, if you look at that, Burkamp if you look at those Arsenal teams as well, it's like it was the way Burkamp dropped into space, drew players yeah. towards him. Exactly, you know, and, and I think uh, Firmino's um, the same. I mean, what a, what a, what a player he is. Um, so much flexibility in how he plays the game. It's, um, yeah, incredible, yeah. If you, if you look back to his Hoffenheim teams, he actually played in the midfield and then see the idea that he's then sort of taken those skills, but what he now does is he, he's he's an attention drawer, which allows the two flamboyant players, or well, one who's a speed merchant and one who's just a, a complete magician, right? He, he's the guy that allows them the space to work, isn't he? Yeah, exactly. But if you come back to the Liverpool team, you know what? People are, oh, have they made the step to win the league? Again, in simple terms, they've gone and signed the best centre-half in the world. You know, um, and it's like... Was that Virgil van Dijk in the phone there? Yeah, yeah. I feel like <laughs> silent, but it rang, which is mental. But anyway, technology, uh, need a new phone. But anyway, um, yeah, but if you look at them, you know, well, how do they make the next step? It's like, well, they signed a top, top goalkeeper, which everyone could see that they didn't know disrespect to the keepers they had, but they weren't top. Um, and they've gone and signed van Dijk. And it's like, yes, now they've made the next step to win the league. You know, it's like Man City this year. You know, everyone may be questioning why they've been off it. I think it's really simple. Laporte's been missing. Yeah, as Amadeus Laporte. Half in the world. I think if he plays every game, I still think Liverpool will win the league because if they, they're miles a better team. But I, I tell you what, they're not whatever it is behind twenty points behind. By the way, best result of the season, right? And my humble, well, I don't know. Spurs runs it close, right? But Amadeus Laporte plays that game. I feel Norwich City lose it, you know. Yeah, absolutely. Because it, it comes down to. to you know, quality, these these are the best players in the world. You know, when you watch Laporte, when you watch Van Dijk, they're just, they're on a different level. You know, they're, they're, there's good players in the Premier League, there's, there's top players in the, player, the Premier League, and then there's world-class, and, and they're in that world-class category. And, and, you know, that's what we're all striving to to be able to try and get. Can we can we get our version of one of them, you know? It's um, quite interesting, though, that that's two centre-halves. And if you actually think about it, if, if, if you were to, I mean, don't get me wrong, I feel Man City and Liverpool are a few steps ahead of the rest, right? But that centre-half and the fact of having that solid backbone, that seems to be so so key, doesn't it? And, I mean, like if we're, if we're levelling criticism at Norwich City, that's exactly what we've not had this season. No, we, let's be honest, this season we've never had a steady centre-back partnership. We've had... Uh, Hanley injured at the start, Zimmerman injured, Tim Closer injured all season, and even Ben Godfrey had to have his um, hernia and then got sent off. So, you know, at no point in this season have we have had a settled centre-half pairing. Um, you know, then we had Jamal Lewis got injured and Sam Byram came in and played left-back and obviously did great. But, you know, so at no point, the only consistent, oh, even Tim Krull's had missed two games for injury. Yeah. You know, so Max Aarons has missed uh, two games for injury. So you end up looking at it going... At no point have we had a period of solid back five, let's call it, with a goalkeeper. Um, that said, do you regret not recruiting another centre-half? Of course, in hindsight. Because if someone would have said to me, listen, uh, three of your four centre-halves are going to get injured straight after the window closes, 
Uh, I'll go Granted, with sorry, sorry. I'm approaching that from a different angle, though. Like what I'm talking about is another Premier League quality centre half, regardless of. No, because I think we've I think we've got Premier League quality centre halves. I believe all four of them are Premier League. Gen- quality genuinely, generally, you would say every one of them is a Premier League footballer. Yeah, okay. Huh? Okay, that's that's. I'm not sure of the top centre halves. Well, of course not, because they're playing for they're playing for Norwich City. But can they compete with, let's say, the bottom six, seven, eight clubs? Yeah, yeah, I genuinely think they can. Can we get better? Of course. That's, that's, that's every position. Do you know what I mean? Can we get a better sporting director? Yeah, absolutely. Of course. <laughs> Why do you think Gran Hanley looks a better Premier League player than he did a Championship player? That, that, that's the fair, thing that's intrigued me this season. I think in fairness to Grant, I think if you look at last season, he, he got injured, he got out the team. Uh, Zimmerman came in and was, was immense with Tim Closer. Then Tim gets injured and Ben Godfrey comes in and was immense. And... And literally, Tim and Grant just had to sit there and wait for the chance. Then Grant gets a chance in the FA Cup, gets sent off after 15 minutes, which was unhelpful uh, for him <laughs> uh, and us. Although it got us knocked out of the Cup, which in hindsight was probably good last year. Um, but I think he never really could get momentum. I think if you look at Grant, he came in year one. He came right at the end of the transfer window after the, after the Millwall debacle. Um, you know, so we didn't have pre-season with him. He hadn't played much football. Um, he had to wait his time because if you remember after that Millwall game, we kept five clean sheets in a row with Zimmerman and Closer. As a I remember. 1 0, 1 0, 1 0. No, 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 no. That's well, it, yeah. In a different order. Exactly, whatever it was. And, um, you know, so we had to sort of wait patiently. Then he got in and he was a player who you could see needed rhythm. Then he obviously got in and, and played the rest of that season. I think got third person for the season, you know, player of the season, whatever. You know, then, la- then last season he was injured all pre season, really. But he starts the season because you know he's brave and he, he'll put his body on the line, and then eventually he just couldn't play anymore. See, see, anybody I've spoken to about him as well. They say he's an absolute warrior, like proper old school mode footballer. Oh, yeah, he's proper hard in terms of not in terms of hard of like beat someone up hard because I don't. He's not that type of guy, but he's yeah, he's someone. If you said, listen, Grant, you need to go and put your head on the penalty spot, and someone's going to kick kick you in it, he'll go, yeah, all right, whatever. Um, and, <laughs> and that is where he's all, all right, whatever. Like, uh, <laughs> yeah, exactly. You know, but I think also for the Premier League, what you have to uh, remember of him, he's got outstanding pace. And Aye. in the Premier League, it's a pace. You know, it is a pace league, and I think that's why it suited him. Because you know, if you look at the the games where he's played, he's playing. You know, no one's ever going to run him down the side. Um, he's happy with that. You know, he can. You know, he can be aggressive in the Premier League in his defending, and, and maybe the strikers are less. Don't overly like it. Whereas in the championship, you know, you, you'll have people like, know, like Steve Morris or Matt Smith who actually want to come and have a fight with you and turn it into a scrappy, yeah, um, scrappy game. So I think in the, in the Premier League, yeah, he, he's he's done great, Grant, and um, you know, I'm sort of happy for him because he's you know he's been a good captain for us so far. Um, he's maturing a lot um, with us as as a footballer and, and as a person, and you know, I think he's you know we've got his prime to come now, and I think he's what he's done this season is I think he's put himself in a position to really sort of push on now. Um, you, you you spoke before, I remember last season, about Tim Crew as a kind of culture setter for the rest of the squad. Do you feel Grant's done that this season? I think so. I think, you know, a lot of them have in fairness. I think Tim, I think, you know, Grant, um, obviously Tete, um, you know. Was that, the reason, was that the reason for the other deal, by the way? Like the, the fact that Alex can do that? I think also as well, I think we've got to give respect to Alex's performance this year. You know, let's be honest, at the highest level, Alex has been very, very good for us, you know, whether that's centre-half or in midfield. And, you know, he's a player that, 
keeps going physically, thank God, and you know he keeps performing. And you know every every squad needs an Alex Tetty. You know we used to have a player at Wolves called Dave Edwards, and I remember Kenny Jack used to say, "Oh, whenever you've got a problem, call on Dave Edwards." You know, and and I think Alex is the same. I think you know whenever it's going wrong, give, give Alex a call. You know, and 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 he comes and and he just sort of calms everyone. But I think. I think what I would say, and, and huge respect to the, the leaders in the group and all of the group, but certainly the leaders in the group is, you know, this has been a really difficult season. We've had injuries, we've had uh, bad results, you know, we've had incredibly, you know, ridiculous decisions given against us on VAR and, and things like that. It's been a real tough year. That spurs one, mate, right, honestly, a Venn diagram. Look, That's I mean, a joke. Oh, it is unbelievable. But what I would say is they've stuck together through it and, and you only do that if you've got good people. Um, you know, whereas it could have been, I'm sure there's lots of other teams who are 20th in the league after 29 games, um, you know, where there's infighting and there's all sorts and there's, you know, morale's low. Yeah, that, that, that's it, they would have chucked it, but we don't seem to have chucked it. No, and I think, you know, that's credit to them. I think it's credit to uh, the club in terms of, you know, how we we treat our players and staff and, and make them feel valued that, you know, they feel the... You give something back to the to the club. You know, I think I read something from Grant Hanley back in February or something that you know the, the players, uh, the club don't owe the players anything. The players owe the club everything. Um, I don't totally agree with that, but I think it's also a fair point and quite refreshing to hear hear that. You know, we do owe the players a lot, but they're right. It, this is a joint venture. You know, it, it's credit to um, obviously to Daniel Fark most of all and, and and his staff for keeping that spirit and togetherness because you know he's got the hardest job of all in terms of you know keeping 25 players happy um you know because he's he's a guy who picks the team you know he's a guy who makes someone dream come true or potentially shatter somebody's dream you know and and it doesn't matter which player it is all 25 whether it's josh martin who's an 18 year old just just breaking through or or whether it's uh, alex tetty 34 they all believe that they should play every minute of every game because um <laughs> that's why they're professional athletes because they, they believe they're the best and their position can help the most. Um, so I think it's, yeah, fair play to him for that. But I think it's a, it's a good sign that our culture is quite good. Um, it's not perfect, but it, it's good that, you know, it, when it's being most tested, I, when it's going wrong, that's when you find out how strong it is. It's easy when it's going right. It's easy when but, you win. Well, that, that, that's a good point, right? And let's, right, see last season. Last season, I can remember that graph that they showed in Sky Sports when we won the title. Right, and it was how basically we had recruited spending pretty much nothing net spend, right? And all of the last the signings last season they were all lauded, right? This season's recruitment has been quite criticised in in various quarters. So what I would ask you is, see in terms of this season, what would you give yourself out of ten for recruitment based on this season alone? And I'm talking at first team level. I'm not talking in terms of the the sort of greater plethora of the club. Um, yeah, I'm not sure I'd, I'd put a mark in out of 10 because I don't want to... No, I'll go, 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 come on, come on. But, um, <laughs> but I think um, ultimately, you know, I've said this before, it's not been good enough. That, that, that's a fact, you know, the, the signings, the players we've signed um, for, for a varying amount of reasons haven't come in and affected the first team well enough yet. And I think yet's important as well for some players because, you know, when you sign certain players it's like you know they can't all just jump in the team and and perform well I mean you know that's a nice scenario but you know you know it does sort of take time but if you look at it if we go through it you know obviously we signed Ralph Thurman you know to really come in and challenge Tim 
Now, I actually look at Ralph and go, that was a really good signing. Because what it's done is established him as number one with you know, outstanding competition against him. And to be honest, if one was going to become established, sat as a sporting director, I'd much rather it be the guy that we own than the guy that we don't own. Um, so, fair, you know, fair play, so, fair play. Right, right, let's actually go through them one by one then. So, you know, he's really pushed, um, he really pushed him. Um, and we're thankful for that. And then Tim responded to that, you know, let's be honest, outstanding. Really. And a good keeper as well. Like, remember his performance uh, against no, Man City in the Champions League. Yeah, this is a guy who's, you don't play 300 games to Schalke if you're not very good. You know, you've got to remember Schalke are a massive club, um, probably the third biggest in Germany. So, you know, and to be honest, he'll probably play for Schalke next season uh, in the Bundesliga. So it'll be like, well, you know, he's not. So I think, yeah, that one, no problem. It is what it is. If you go through um, Sam Byram, I think, you know, for, for what we paid for him, I think it's been an outstanding signing. Yeah, that's uh, a success. In terms of performances, um, but also his character, you know, he, he fits perfectly the type of guy we want. A really good, humble bloke, works, you know, works hard every day. Um, he's made, helped make Max and Jamal better uh, because even when he's not played, he's, you know, just his, just the level of player that Sam is makes others around him you know, that's, the, that's the bit that people don't see but see even in terms of a football thing see that that period where he was uh, he, he, he was creating a new dynamic on the left flank with his sort of being an inverted wing back and I, I thought that actually really sort of brought the best out of other areas of the team at one point yeah and, and he, he, you know, he did great for us and um, we're lucky to have him you know and, and you know great age as well he's 26 it's like you know his, his best years are still to come um so he's, he's done great. Um, then if we look at it, uh, just looking at my board here as we speak, um, obviously Amadou. I've got to say Amadou's the one I was personally most disappointed with. Um, we on, when we signed him, we, you know, obviously uh, we thought he was going to bring us a real different dynamic um, in terms of midfield. Um, the, honest, honestly, just the Arsenal game, right? The Arsenal game was the snapshot where you thought, oh, Right, there's something here, and then just after Southampton, it all went to pot. Yeah, and listen, you know, we'll never know if he was given five or six games in midfield, um, would he performed, come through it, and and been the player that we all hope maybe. But you know, time doesn't wait for anyone in in, in this league. You know, you can't you can't give someone five or six games and and hope that it comes through. Uh, what I would say to him is, you know, thank God we did sign him because, you know, he did great for us in the games he played at centre-half. You know, if you think at Bournemouth away, uh, if you think at um, uh, Man City at home, you know, he, he will be the one, let's be honest, in uh, um, 20 years when everyone talks about the Man City game and everyone tries to name the team, he'll be the one they forget, I think. Because, um, <laughs> you know, he played at centre-half, didn't he? So, you know, at the same time, he, he, he did so well for certain games. But, yeah, I was disappointed. I expected more from uh, from him. And um, I was really disappointed uh, for ourselves and for him that it didn't work out. And, he, you know, he's gone over to Spain now. And hopefully he'll have a good end to the season there because he's a good guy. Yeah, um, and then, and then the, the boy's a player. It's just, it's like, it's yeah. t- times and circumstances. Right, Look, keep going through the list, though. <laughs> Uh, so then, obviously, Patrick Roberts. Uh, I was really disappointed with that. Um, so was I. I wrote, I wrote a thing for the EDP saying how I, I thought the fact that he would cut in for the right-hand side, I thought that was going to give us a new option, and it just didn't work. Oh, where, where did it go wrong and, for Patrick? What I would say for, for him, a little bit like Ralph, is if you look at it, Todd Cantwell's come on so much this year. Yeah, but t- Todd plays off the left. Patrick's best position is coming in off the right. 
Yeah, no, absolutely. But if you look at our wide players, how we play them, you know, Todd, you know, sometimes plays a 10, sometimes plays off the right as well. So it's like he was coming in as one of our wingers to, to compete out there. And if we're honest, probably at the start, we probably thought he would have been ahead of Todd. Uh, and if you look at how Todd was in pre-season and pushed himself into that starting lineup at Anfield, you know, it, it's... Again, I'm not overly disappointed with how it's turned out because I'd much rather have Todd doing what he'd done and now the emergence of Josh Martin as opposed to Aloni doing really well. Um, we but, watched Josh Martin playing a game at Colney together and um, I, I know you've got kind of high hopes for him but you feel that you feel that that's a young lad that needs to just sort of knuckle down and focus, is that fair to say? Yeah, and I think he has. I think he's matured a lot in the last three, four months. I think he's... His talent we don't need to talk about, but in terms of his attitude, has been top class. And I think going into the first-team group has helped him. So I think there they don't suffer fools, first-team players. Um, so, yeah, he's yeah, he's doing good. And then uh, who else have we got? Uh, Josip Drimic. Um, I'd argue with anyone who doesn't think Josip's um, a good signing and a good player because end of the day, Timo's played pretty much every game when fit. That's not Josip's fault. You know, it's like Timo after last season, you know, when you, when you play with one striker, that striker plays. It's a bit like trying to say to Tottenham, I oh, need to recruit another striker. Well, when yeah, exactly. Play, you've, got, you've got Harry Kane. <laughs> so I look at Josip, whenever he's come on the pitch, whenever he's played, he's affected the game. He's mm-hmm. either scored a goal. Um, Funny you mentioned Spurs as well. He was brilliant in that cup game. Yeah. And if you look at him, he, he's... You know, he's getting better and better and better with us. He's getting fitter and fitter and fitter with us. And, you know, I, I still think he, he will make an impact for us. And, and I'm sort of quite excited about him, really, because he's got so much talent. I mean, he has got everything you, you want. Obviously, Duda's come in. I think it's still, uh, you know, Duda's done well for us and, um, and still it. Lucas Rupp as well. Oh, Lucas, of course, yeah. Sorry, I'm going to forget Lucas. Um, yeah, I think Lucas is um, he's a good player in terms of he just offers us some variety in terms of where he can play. Obviously, he's played off the right. If you, if you want to be really solid, he's a great option. He's, um, he's, he's versatile, mate. But for me, I look at Lucas Rupp and I'm thinking championship player, to be honest. Yeah, I mean, what I would say, though, his career has been all in the Bundesliga, so I think that's unfair. Um, I think yeah, it's true. very hard for players to come into a team who are bottom of the league and, and suddenly, in the pond we're fishing. You've got, you've yeah, got to remember yeah. here, we're not, we haven't bought Lucas Rupp for 25 million euros and... and and whatever you know, we're, we're you know we're the pond that we fish in for our players, and that, that's the other thing. People could be critical of some of our recruitment because there hasn't been a player who's made the impact of, let's say, Puki of twelve months ago. But we're in the Premier League. You know, we're talking about you know we're talking before about Van Dijk, a seventy-five million pound centre back, one player, and it's like, well, you're and, not and, and that's the way it works as well. Because see, the player that's been the biggest difference to Liverpool for me was see when they signed Allison, right? And look, I, I can't remember the exact finances of the deal, but it was an obscene amount of money. But when you get to the Premier League, it basically becomes if you want a difference maker, you need to pay an obscene amount of money. Norwich City aren't going to do that. No, because what you get what you get stuck into here. I remember speaking to a chairman of a club who'd you know been promoted, relegated, promoted, whatever. And um, we're talking about players and he goes, you know what? He goes, the biggest problem you've got is 10 million pounds doesn't buy you much. Mama, what do you mean? He goes, he goes, no, no, no. He goes, 10 million pound can buy you an all right championship player. Right. So let's, let's, let's play a hypothetical scenario now because I realise that we're, we're on borrowed time in the call now. 
we make a hundred million, right? From whether we stay up or we, we go down, right? We make a hundred million quid in the summer, as it were, <laughs> even though summer is now probably going to be autumn, right? We make a hundred million quid. What, what, what can you potentially foresee is the biggest outlay, right? Or is it going to come down to a specific situation where you might think, yeah, we will spend 50 million quid on a player, but what kind of, how would you decide whether you were going to make that big an outlay? What would be the deciding factor there in terms of spending a lot of money on an individual? I think there's so many things to factor in. I think you've got to factor in what salary comes with that transfer fee. So, you know, you can soon kill the morale of a group. If you sign a player for 15 million, let's call it, pay him maybe double what some of our players are on who've done unbelievably well for this club. If that player doesn't perform immediately, we've got a problem. Mm -hmm. Because our players are all going, well, hang on a minute, you know, he's not performing. You're paying him double what you're paying us. What's going on? I think that's what ruins clubs of our size is when they go, we've got to go to the next level. Now, going to the next level is fine if you can really afford it. So if you can go and sign six players like that, um, and you can turn your dressing room to become that, that's fine. But you've got to be really careful. And I've, I've spoke to this a lot about people over the years about the effect of plonking someone in the dressing room who's on a lot more money than others. Mm -hmm. And I always get the same response from players, whether current or ex. It's no problem if he delivers on day one. Because he's delivering <laughs> and he makes the team better, which means that they can continue to earn good money and makes them better, not a problem. Pay, pay him 15 times what they're on. The issue comes is if that player doesn't deliver. And I think, um, and then you lose everything you've sort of built your, your club on. So I think it's about, it's about trying to build sort of slowly to that point. You know, I would love nothing more than us getting to that point where we can, you know, sell a player for 50 million and go and sign two players for 15 million pounds each um, and add to it. And maybe they, they come in because they're a bit younger. Maybe we're signing top young talents for 15 million as opposed to a 28 year old for 15 million let's say but if you uh, I, I, know, I know the way your head works Stuart. if you spend 15 million pound in a player it's because you think you'll be able to sell him for 50 or 60 am i right yeah, or not, not only that because you know sometimes you know we get aimed at just selling players but it's 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 believing that we'll get massive value out of that player that doesn't necessarily mean selling him it could mean you know giving max aaron's a five-year contract for example of course, part of it is, um, you know, tying down an asset, of course. Um, but also, it's making him feel valued. But also, summing up, what's that five-year contract going to cost us? It's going to cost us X. Okay, are we going to get value for money on that? Well, yeah, because he's a young player. He could go and play two, three hundred games for the club. So, actually, it's well worth that investment for us. So, it's not necessarily always um, thinking ahead of, of selling a player. Because it could be that, you know... Um, you know, when you sign, you can you can spend fifteen million. I'm not sure I would, but you could spend it on a 27 year old goalkeeper. Let's call it thinking, yeah, but he could be our goalkeeper for ten years. Yeah, fifteen million in ten years looks really cheap. Yeah. Um, no, it's a bit like I look at say at the top level, Man United sign Harry Maguire for whatever it was. Let's call it eighty million. You know, everyone thought that's a lot of money. It's like, well, yeah, it's not a lot of money though. If Harry Maguire is their captain and centre half for ten years, you end up going, you end up going. Oh, I tell you what, we got cheap. 
Well, do you know a, par- a parallel there is Rio Ferdinand because that was a massive fee at the time, right? But Rio Ferdinand absolutely delivered on what they paid Leeds for him. Absolutely, and I, and I think that's it. It's also it's not just buying to uh, develop and then sell. Yeah, that's part of our model. Absolutely, if we want to grow and make this club better, and you know, eventually build a stadium up and build even more at the training ground. Of course, the way that's going to be done, let's be honest, is is through player trading. But um, it's also about looking at smart investments. I remember when we signed Mario Frangic, you know, we signed Mario for whatever it was, 800,000 euros or something. And he, and he was uh, 28, you know, and, and I was uncomfortable spending money, but I sort of looked at him for, yeah, but you know what? If he plays a hundred games for us, ends at 800 grand starts looking cheap, you know, and Mario has, you know, he's been here three years now. He's, he's, Close to 100 games. And I'll tell you um, what, you, you, can't, you can't put a price. Well, you can actually, 800,000 euros, as you say, right? But that, that goal against Sheffield Wednesday, right? That's, that's, that's a moment. You, you know that way there's, in, in every, in a title campaign as well, there's, there's points, there's moments, there's memories. That was a massive one. It's massive. And I think Mario, at the end of last season, if you look at his form, he was incredible. You know, he dragged us over the line, um, you know, scoring a winner at Villa Park to win the title. You know, he scored so many important goals, got so many massive assists. Um, and that's what I mean. And that's where you got to look at, I looked at Mario at the time going, oh no, this is an investment, but not, we were never, oh, it was unlikely that we were going to buy him for 800 grand and sell him for 5 million. That was unlikely, I thought, when we were signing him. But it was more happening to, to sum up going, yeah, okay, it's an outlaying on a player that we might not be able to sell, but we might end up getting three, four, five years of football out of him, which, you know, there's a, you know, there's a price to be said paid for that, if that, if that makes sense. Well, why, why do you think he's been a wee bit marginalised this season? Obviously, I get that it's Daniel's decision whether or not to play players, but why do you think Mario's not featured quite as much? Is yeah, that just really, Kenny McLean's form, or, or is there more to it? Yeah, he's not been, been marginalised, in my opinion, but I think, um, yeah, I think Kenny McLean's form has, has been outstanding. You know, Kenny... Just looks like a proper Premier League player. Um, he does. Do you, know, do you know something? Do you know what I love about Kenny, right? And, and I'm, I reckon he would admit it himself, right? He's not a player blessed with hunters of pace and in a league that relies on pace and athleticism. What's happened is the rest of his game has just flowered beautifully. Yeah, he's, listen, he's done great for us, you know, and that's, you know, you know what a good signing he's proved to be and, and what a good bloke he is. Um, and, you know, it's, it's now, I think, next for him is can he mature into... Um, into being a real leader in the group as well, you know, because I think he's got the the personality to to be that, and he's certainly got the the quality, and he's certainly now got the standing, let's call it, within the group. Um, Do you reckon potential Scotland captain in future, given the the, the kind of guy he is? Just random question. Yeah, there's a few. Let's be honest, mate. There's a few. Um, there's a few good candidates for that. Obviously, you got Grant. Um, you got obviously loves obviously Robertson. Um, you know that, yeah. Who knows? Who knows? I think you know, McGinn obviously has done brilliant at um, Villa. You know what a player he is. So you know, one thing I would say about Scotland. You know, I'm obviously Welsh, so uh, no real interest in them. But um, <laughs> the teams of a uh, half decent team. You know, if they can get Tierney playing regularly in the Premier League, I think that's that's big for them. Um, but you know, you sort of start looking, going, say what you could be putting out a really good team in the next sort of twelve months. Do you, do you want me to epitomise what it is to be Scotland, right? We waited 15 years for a good left-back to come along, then two of the best left-backs <laughs> in the world come along at once. Yeah. We'd, we'd Phil Bardsley and Graham Alexander playing there for years, do you know what I mean? And now you've got Kieran Tierney and Andy Robertson and you're trying to shoehorn them both into a team. 
Yeah, but in, to be fair, mate, we always had the same with Wales, you know, like we'd have like Ryan Giggs or whatever, and then, you know, it's part time. But that, unfortunately for our nations, when you don't have as much quality, when you have good players, you've got to find a way of making it work. It's like with Kenny and McGinn, they've got to find a way of making that work um, in midfield because they're, they're too good of players and you don't have too many good players like Wales that you've got to find a way of getting them in the team and, and sort of making it work. You know, a bit like with Wales, um, with uh, with Bale, you know, they end up sort of playing him through the middle um, as a centre forward because they've got decent wide options. So it's like, mate, you have to play there, but we'll get you in the team and you're the best player and we'll build the rest around it. I think it's the same with Tierney and Robertson. They've got to find a way and, and they've tried three at the back and stuff like that, but, you know, getting them both in the team, you know. Yeah, no, 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 totally. And do you know something, right, random aside, but Chris Coleman, I don't think he's that gifted a coach, but see that system he played with Wales at Euro 2016. It just worked, didn't it? Yeah, and I think that comes, you know, he did incredible with Wales, you know. He worked out very quickly the tools that he had um, and it helped at the time. You know, I, I thought Bale was the best player in the world in that period um, in terms of I would agree. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and, you know, he got formula, but also built an incredible spirit and culture, which isn't easy to do. And, you know, the whole nation got behind it. It was incredible. And, you know, I'm proud of being Welsh in that period because it was like, you know, this is what I dreamed of as a kid of being a part of a feel-good factor like this. We'd had it in rugby for many years, but in football, the closest we got in my time was the Mark Hughes team where we lost to Russia in the playoffs. Um, when we used to play at the Millennium Stadium in front of big crowds and it was brilliant. Um, but, you know, Coleman and the guys took it on another level, which was just amazing. Got a feel for gigs, eh, man? Like, all that service, all those years, and never actually managed to, to enjoy the, the, the sort of, the, the big no, tournament. No, we played in a good team, you know, like with Rush, and um, we're going off on a different angle here, but in terms of Rush, and Hughes, Speed, um, you know, Andy Hinchcliffe, these players, it was a good team, Neville Southall, and... I do look, you know, that was a team of my childhood, if you like, and I look back and think, you know, Dean Saunders in it. I think, oh, how do they not do better? They would qualify now, though, in fairness, mate. You know, with it being, I dare I say, easier to qualify now in terms of how they've set the groups up and made that, made it the championship bigger. They would qualify now, and, that, and that's quite sad because I think it would have been great to see people like Ian Rush, Mark Hughes, Speed, Gigs. Uh, a tournament would have been amazing, you know. Um, it would have been nice and, and, and they would have deserved it. On borrowed time with the call, as I say, mate, so I'm going to rush through a, a few questions that I did want to ask you. Right, so Norwich City are going to be back playing football. Project Restart, how do you think the Premier League handled a, a totally unique situation? Um, I think it's been mixed in fairness. I think there's been some fantastic practice and there's, and there's been some really good things. But, but then I also think there's been some you know, um, things which haven't gone right. And I'm sure on reflection that they'll reflect on that and um, want to get better. Like, like we all do, you know, like we all, we all sort of make mistakes. I think, you know, it's very, it's very hard. Um, Virgil van Dijk on the phone again. Yes. That's what's going on here now. So, no, we're now <laughs> when it's on silence, so I apologise for that. Uh, but um, it's now gone, um, you know, it, we've been made to very much feel, you know, as Norwich City 20th in the league at, we haven't really got a voice, you know, and I think it's been interesting uh, going through this period. Um, well, I see the whole bottom six thing, right? Like, I mean, what, what have you made all of that? Yeah, that's a disgrace because at no point um, has any one club said they don't want to play. Um, not at one point has any one club said um, they don't believe relegation is, is fair or right. But the portrayal 
around the neutral venues and relegation was was a disgrace, you know, and and um, it was completely unfair and, and unfounded, and it's uh, and it was wrong, you know, and you know we've we've said privately we've had our thoughts of the Premier League and let them know exactly what we think about that. Um, mm-hmm. Because it was wrong, you know. It, it suited a, an agenda. At that well, time. Where where did that come from for you? Like, well, Jeff, what, a social media wrong. thing, or, or, or what? Where, where, yeah, where listen, I think the media have been relentless during this um, stuff. You know, Dan will tell you more. The amount of requests constantly to speak about the subject. Um, the amount of journalists who constantly in contact with me, wanting to know something, and it's like no. Um, and I think they've had to, unfortunately, create um, stories. And I think, you know, I think if you look at a certain person, Sam Wallace in The Telegraph, for example, you know, he decided very early to go on the angle of marginalising the bottom six. So, you know, hopefully he never wants to come and watch a game at Norwich because he won't get past me um, because it's like that was unfair, you know, and he won't let it go and he still won't let it go. You know, so even when it came out very, very clear loud and clear that the neutral venues was more than the bottom six, i.e. there was much, much bigger clubs than us, uh, well opposed it. Even at that point, he still can go, oh, actually, maybe I've got that wrong. And, and sometimes we're right to get it wrong. We make bad decisions all the time, so just get it wrong. The next thing it came, bang, the bottom six trying to, you know, cause a problem to start Project Recharge because they want relegation off the table. Yeah. No one's ever said that. Mm. So it's like, you know, and I think, unfortunately, there's just been certain... Agendas, and I get it. You know what I mean? This is why I don't have social media and I don't read it because you know it's just unfortunately you've got people commenting on things that they've got zero knowledge about, and but to sell their paper or to get likes on Twitter or however it works, I don't know what the social media things that I don't understand why you have to put some on to get whatever people to do something with it. The fact you get sponsorship money or something, but whatever it is, you know it's a lot easier writing a slightly controversial story than maybe writing the truth or dare I say it maybe even saying you don't know. And I think this is where lots of journalists have had a very difficult job over the last few months is because they don't actually know they have to make it up. Oh, that, that's um, it. That, you, you, you've you've got to, to just chum. You, you've got to just like, I mean, I've done, I've done that job, mate, right? And what you've got to do is you've just got to take whatever little tidbits of anything that you can get and you've got to churn. You've got to, you've basically yeah. got to create readable content out of it. Yeah, and, it, and it's, it's poor, to be honest. But, um, but it is what it is. It's the same with transfer speculation. Isn't it? Let's be honest. We have it all last summer about Max Aaron's going to Real Madrid, Arsenal, Barcelona, Juventus, um, Accrington Stanley, Fulham, Galatasaray, bang, 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 bang. <laughs> and it's like, he's just signed a five-year deal. Like, that you know, said, was, was there any big interest in, you don't need to name names, but was there no, any no big clubs interested in any player. of our players? No. On my son's life, we did not have one offer for one of our players last summer. That, of, that amazes me. I, 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 get, I get the ones that you mean. Yeah, 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 yeah. Obviously, loan offers to take whatever, whoever, Adam Idol on loan or whatever, right? But in terms of let's, the players that you'll be alluding to, on my son's life, we didn't have one offer. That, that surprises me. Right, It doesn't again. surprise me, because if you think about it, mate, we, A, we've set the stool out how we negotiate with the James Madison deal, right? So anyone who's going to pick up the phone to me and ask for any of our player knows that it's not going to, they're not going to tickle me. Then it's not going to be easy. You know, they're not going to, you know, sway me with. They're not going to use the fact that we're Norwich City against us in terms of a negotiation. Absolutely no chance. Um, And all of our players are on long contracts. We've rewarded them quite rightly for what they've done. Um, We've backed them. We've given them incredible opportunities and they've 
again, rewarded. It's a two-way thing, absolutely. But, you know, to leave here won't be easy for any player if we don't want them to go because it shouldn't be. You know, we got over £20 million for, for James Madison. We just finished 14th in the championship and we're on the brink of financial disaster. Well, we're in the Premier League at the moment. And even if we're relegated, it means that, well, we're still the 20th highest club or, or 19th or 18th club. Um, and we are not on a financial disaster, thank God. I'll, I'll, like, I'll, I'll tell you what, though, right? See if that negotiation happens one summer later. Bet you there's an extra 10, 15 million quid you can squeeze out of that deal just because of the situation. In when, sorry? A year later? Uh, so, uh, yeah, if Madison gets sold a year later, right, when Norwich City are going towards the Premier League, right? And obviously all of this is just the, the, the sort of, you're kind of placing it in a vacuum as a discussion, right? But, look, the, the circumstances of the deal would have been different. And what I'm saying is, I'm not saying we didn't get it. We, we got value for him, and we got value for him at the time. It was a club record fee, blah, blah, blah. But I think... And the championship record fee. For a oh, player who'd never played in the Premier League, it's still a championship record fee. There you um, go. And, and the other thing you've got to remember, mate, you had one season. Like, that's... I, that's, I think the bit... It's, it's a bit like saying now... Um, after the event, people would go, God, Van Dyke's cheap, isn't he? 75 million. Well, yeah, of course. Uh, and same way, same way, Alison, as, as we mentioned earlier. And I think the thing is with the James deal, everyone was happy in that. Leicester got themselves a really good player. And they've um, got value for it. Like, and that's, where, that's an example of where the deal can work both ways. Because if you look at what Brendan Rodgers has done. Move, the agent's yeah. done great, and uh, we did great as a club. Um, and what a great story it is. And, you know, James is a massive a friend of our club. You know, his fa- all his family were in the boardroom when we played Leicester at home. Um, you know, and that's how a deal should work. When, when it's a player that the club has given an incredible opportunity to and the club has delivered on that opportunity, you know, there's a way where everyone can win. You know, the minute it becomes a fight, it is wrong. And, and you know, that, that should not happen. But at the same time, I have to do what's right um, for the club. That's what I'm paid to do. Um, and what I would say is, you know, the one thing is I can't stand, I can't stand bullies. And um, there's something I, I strongly disagree with in life. And, you know, we will never, ever get bullied by another club, whether they think they're bigger than us or not. They'll be like, nah, we're, we're not having that. Um, because what happens is I go into stubborn mode and I go into <laughs> being an arsehole mode and I don't care because ultimately I know how hard everyone works at this club how much it means to our community and our fans that go and let someone come and walk over us and think that they can can do that. And anyone who ever tries it will, will be met, you know, with force. Whereas if people work with us and, and communication is good, you know, and, and I'm sure if you ask James and his family and if you asked Lester and if mm-hmm. you asked his agents, you know, that deal was difficult because, of course, I didn't sit there and go, yeah, of course you can have him. But we got there because actually in the end it was fair, um, which is vital in a negotiation. It's not about winning. It's about being fair. Um, but people did it the right way, you know, whereas if people, what I, what I can't yeah. stand is, and you know, I've been through this in my career, you know, when people send disrespectful offers or whatever for people, it's like, mm, you know what, you've, you've, you've pressed the wrong button there, mate. Don't, don't try that with us. And because, you know, it's, this club's too important and, too many people have worked so hard for many, many years at this club, long before me, to create what it is now, which is a club that, you know, for the last 10 years has spent as much time in the Premier League as in the Championship. 
for us just to be treated like little old Norwich. We know where we are in the pecking order and we respect that. We're not trying to say we're Man United or Man City or Liverpool or whatever. But at the same time, we're a proper club and we're run by proper people. And, um, you know, if you treat us in the right way, you'll have no problems. But if you don't, to be honest, you will have a problem. And I, and I, don't, I don't care. That's the, that's the Welsh um, mentality in me. Of, you know, we're stubborn. That's why we can win in rugby with four million people against <laughs> You don't care. It's like, come on, if you want it, we'll have it. Um, no problem. If you treat us well, then you'll get met with respect. If you don't, well, actually get ready because what's coming your way will, will hurt, you know? That's fine. Right, listen, I have one minute left according to our agreed sort of end time. So what I want to do is I want to hit you with three quick fire questions. Number one is, um, do you think the quick fire format could play into Norwich City's hands? Keep your answers nice and short and snappy in terms of the, the, the chances of survival. Uh, yep. Right. How much longer are you going to be with us? Uh, two years. If I get sacked before, obviously less, but... <laughs> and and just finally, mate, um, look, see in terms of this unique situation, managing a club through something that could never have been foreseen, a global pandemic, how much have you learned from this? Uh, a lot. A, a lot. Um, because it's been incredible, you know, seeing the hardship that some people have gone through in our community and trying to be a part of trying to help ease that a little bit. Um, watching people trying to deal with uncertainty. Um, how every decision you make, because there's no football to watch, is even more scrutinised. So people actually care about what you're doing with your cleaning staff, whereas normally they wouldn't care. Um, so it's been difficult. But I think the biggest learning is, is you're stronger together. And I think, you know, I've got to say during this period, mate, I haven't done a lot in terms of to do with COVID. I've done lots around other things, but in terms of the work that Zoe and Ben and how they've led through this has been incredible. The amount of work that um, people have done in our charity, um, the link we've got with, with Soul Church and John Norman there and the guys, the work that some of our staff have done volunteering, mate, has been humbling of how much good has been done and how much good has come out of this. Uh, but to be honest, mate, I can't take any of the credit for that. I, I've... I've been worrying about 25 footballers and probably 50 staff at Colney. My job's been easy compared to the job that, that Zoe, Ben and, and the guys have had to do. It's been, yeah, my job's been really easy and I take no, no credit for what we've been doing. Um, but learn a lot and learn a lot about yourself. You know, you, you have time to reflect and sit back and, and you know, really analyse what's, you know, gone well and what's not gone well in the last sort of three years. And that's been, that's been great. And I've learned, you know, a lot and, and asked myself some incredibly difficult questions and, you know, not always like the answer I give myself, to be honest. So there you have it. I think at the end there, Stuart's attitude summed up in a nutshell, a guy who always asks difficult questions of himself to ensure that he's operating at the top of his field and at the top of his game. And that, for me, is one of the reasons he's one of the foremost thinkers in the game of football, and I think he's headed right to the very top. Now, I kept the intro short and snappy. Um, for regular listeners, I just want to thank you for your patience in terms of um, waiting for the latest episode of the podcast to come out. I know it's been a wee while coming. I've had a few things going on in my personal life and uh, also injured my ankle quite badly, which has inhibited my ability to walk, uh, let alone produce podcasts and all of that jazz. But um, to regular listeners, thank you very much for your patience. We do have more stuff coming. To anyone who's listening for the first time, perhaps Norwich City fans on the Ball City, never mind the danger, all of that stuff. Um, but hopefully 
you will choose to listen to a bit more of the podcast. There's episodes already there and some other football ones, but it's not always football that we talk about on my Corona podcast. The reason I started it was to keep busy during the lockdown from a personal point of view and also to hopefully provide content which gives people stuff to listen to um, and to keep them busy during the time of this pandemic and furlough and all of that stuff. I know things are gradually getting back to normal now, but yeah, um, if you've listened to this today and you've enjoyed it, then please make sure to like, share and subscribe. My Corona Podcast can be found on all of the major podcast platforms, including Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and Spotify, as well as on Twitter at My Corona Pod, and by searching for My Corona Podcast by Hodgie the Hack on Facebook. I hope you've enjoyed the podcast. That's all for now, Troops and Troopettes. We will be back with our next episode uh, before the end of the week, which is all about the NHSX Track and Trace app. So enjoy the restart of the football season, which is almost upon us. So close we can feel it now. But more importantly, in the meantime, with everything that's going on, stay safe and stay sane.